0: Okay, so I'll do a scripture reading for now uh, forget this part. uh, It will be from Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 to 11. So maybe we can uh, flip to it first. There will be two passages. The next one will also be from Exodus. Yeah. Okay, so I'll read uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In, uh, Exodus chapter 31, verse 12 to 17, Then the Lord said to Moses, uh, saying to the Israelites, We must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who uh, doesn't create it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. For six days, work is to be done. But the seventh day is a day of seventh rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating with it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant, it will be a sign between the Israelites forever. For so in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, she rested and was refreshed. Yeah, that's the word right. of God. And now you invite um, Christ uh, for the talk, yeah.
1: Why not turn to your neighbor and ask them a question. Uh, have you had a good rest since we gathered yesterday? Okay, let me interrupt. Now, I guess you could have answered that question in one of two ways. Uh, you could have uh, answered it in terms of physical rest, uh, the quality of your sleep, or perhaps you answered in terms of your spiritual rest, the quality of your quiet time. Uh, so what we are trying to see yesterday is that true rest is our relationship uh, with the Lord. Not to say that physical rest is unimportant, but that actually what rest means in Genesis is our relationship uh, with the Lord. And we're going to continue thinking about that theme uh, today so let's be let me pray uh, for god's help as we look at his word again today our father we thank you for what we've thought about already uh, when we heard yesterday that you created the world and then you rested on the seventh day and invited you to join us in that rest and we pray father that we would continue to understand these things dwell on them and be uh, instructed about them And to know you better and to serve you more faithfully as we continue to think about uh, the Sabbath, particularly uh, in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What what was Sunday like uh, when you were growing up in your home? What was Sunday like? If your family aren't Christians, well, then I guess Sunday uh, was probably a, a day for homework and CCAs. But if you grew up in a Christian family, I wonder whether Sunday was considered a special day. Things uh, were a little bit complicated for me growing up. Now, Sundays in my own home uh, were quite normal. Uh, We went to church. uh, We had a nice lunch. But the rest of the day was pretty much like any other. Uh, We would do our homework, uh, play games, and so on. But when we went to visit my relatives on a Sunday, well, it was a very different story. Uh, My relatives were much stricter uh, in their Christian uh, beliefs than us, and so when we went to their house, we weren't allowed to watch TV, and we weren't allowed to play any board games, and we couldn't bring our homework. Now, that's not just because they wanted us to spend quality time together. That might have been part of it. The main reason for all those rules is simply because it was Sunday. As far as my relatives were concerned, Sunday was the Christian Sabbath. And God's word is very clear about what we should do on the Sabbath. We should stop work. We shouldn't do frivolous things like play games or watch TV, and we should go to church because Sunday was God's day. But that put my family in a slightly tricky situation when my aunts and uncles came to our house on a Sunday. Uh, We had to try and uh, turn off the TV or try and watch it when they were in a different room. And my mom was always unsure whether she could do any gardening uh, when when my granny was around. And I could never admit that I was doing my homework on a Sunday, and so on. And so you can imagine that while I was growing up, I had quite a lot of negative feelings about Sunday. Negative feelings like confusion. Why did my relatives think it was a special day, but my parents didn't? We were all Christians. Boredom. Why couldn't we just play a board game on Sunday? And above all, when I thought about Sunday, I thought about religious duty and obligation. Maybe you experienced something similar uh, when you were growing up. Well, this is our second talk on the topic of rest. Uh, Yesterday, we looked mainly at Genesis 2 to 3, but today we're going to cover a lot more ground. We're actually going to try and cover the rest of the Old Testament today and try and see what it teaches about rest, the Sabbath, uh, and uh, things like that. And I think my relatives, my aunts, my uncles, my granny, I would be quite surprised by what the Old Testament really says uh, on this topic. And maybe we will be as well. So let's jump in uh, together. With the first heading on the handout, uh, Rest Forgotten. Uh, We saw yesterday that rest was the goal of creation. Uh, That means that God wanted to be in a relationship uh, with the whole creation and especially with human beings. But because of Adam and Eve, our rest turned into restlessness. Humanity's relationship with Yahweh was in tatters and they were shut out from the garden. The place where it was possible to enjoy an intimate relationship with god but then right after genesis 3 rest is hardly mentioned for 60 chapters of the bible and that might surprise us one minute rest is the goal of the whole of creation most important idea and then the next minute it seems to have been forgotten So has God given up on the idea of rest? Well, no. The volume is turned down now, almost silent, but there are still hints that God is determined to to restore the rest of the seventh day. So, for example, look at Genesis five, verse twenty-eight. Genesis five, verse twenty-eight. It says, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. If you look at the footnote in your Bible, uh, you'll see that the name Noah uh, sounds like the Hebrew word for rest. So Lamech is hoping that his son Noah would lift the curse and bring relief, rest from humanity's fruitless toil. So several generations after the fall, Lamech is still longing for the rest of Genesis 2. And in a sense, Noah did bring rest. Noah preserved the human race, even during the flood, So that the possibility of life in relationship with God wasn't completely destroyed. That's just a little glimmer of rest. Then fast forward to the book of Exodus, and there's another mention of rest, this time referring to Moses. So look at Exodus 5, verse 4. Exodus 5, verse 4. It says, but Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, said to them, Moses and Aaron... Why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. Again, that's a very revealing comment. It helps us to see that slavery in Egypt, it was the polar opposite of rest in Eden. Pharaoh, like the serpent, was trying to deny the people rest. But God had sent Moses and Aaron to rescue his people, to give them rest from their burdens, to bring them to a new land where they could enjoy a joyful, uh, fruitful relationship with God. So there are little hints along the way that rest has not been forgotten. It's still on God's agenda even though the volume has been turned right down. But after God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt and they begin their journey in the wilderness, well, the volume is turned right back up again. Words like rest and Sabbath are mentioned more and more frequently. It's like a trending topic on Twitter. So flick over to Exodus 16, verse 20. Exodus 16, verse 20. Uh, This is the time when God sent manna in the wilderness. Now, the Israelites, they were very similar to Singaporeans. They were kiasu. And so when there was free food available, uh, they were worried that the offer might expire. And so on Monday morning, uh, they collected far more manna than they needed, enough for the whole week. But then it went rotten overnight. You see, God wanted them to trust him that more manna would appear the next morning. They only needed to gather enough for the day ahead. But then look at verse 20. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. So This is the first time, the very first time, the word Sabbath, Appears in the Bible, and it comes up almost out of the blue. Uh, Clearly, it's a special day. Uh, You don't go out and gather manna like normal. Instead, you rest. But we don't really get much more detail than that. Just the the name is dropped, and then not until Exodus twenty do we find out more about what this Sabbath is all about. And here we see rest. Remembered, the second point on the handout, rest remembered, keeping the Sabbath. So here the Sabbath is mentioned as part of the 10 commandments. And these are the 10 most important laws in Israel, uh, which set them apart uh, from the other nations. And more than that, they had to obey these commandments if they wanted to experience life and blessing in the promised land. So these uh, commandments are usually divided in two. Uh, The first four are about relationship with God, and the final six are about their relationship with other people. So look at uh, the fourth commandment again, which is verse 8. We read this already, but we'll read it again. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the basic command is quite simple. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In Israel... The Sabbath was different from the other six days. And they demonstrated that by not working on the Sabbath. Everyone needed to stop work. No exceptions. Even animals and foreigners were supposed to take a break. It was a nationwide day of rest every week. And that was a wonderful, wonderful privilege after centuries of never-ending fruitless toil in Egypt. That sort of rest is very hard to imagine in relentless Singapore, isn't it? Uh, we're so used to our fair price and our Macs and our local coffee shop being open 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week. Every year, more shops than ever stay open over Chinese New Year. Uh, some workers barely have the right to a day off. I don't know if it's still the case, but I know that it used to be the case that domestic helpers only get one day off a month. And even then their employer can give them money in lieu of that day off. And even those of us who are entitled to a day off, well, we often don't take it. Students study all the time. People work weekends to keep their clients happy. Singapore can feel like it is on the move 24-7. It's almost impossible for us to imagine what it would be like if everything just stopped. For 24 hours every week, the whole city just takes a break. Impossible. But back to Exodus 20, the reason God wants them to take a rest is very important. Look closely at verse 11 again. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Can you see the logic? Keeping the Sabbath is a way to imitate God. When God created the world, he rested on the seventh day. And the Israelites must imitate him by resting from their work on the seventh day. Now, some Christians, like my relatives, uh, they think that verse 11, uh, it means that Sabbath keeping is sort of woven into the fabric of creation. Uh, They think that the seventh day of creation was the original Sabbath day. And so that's where they get the idea that it's God's will for every. Creature, every person in singapore to rest one day in seven because it's part of what it means to be a creature but that's not quite true the seventh day of creation and the seventh day are related but they are not identical the israelite sabbath day is a mirror image of god's seventh day rest It's a weekly reminder. Just like God entered into a relationship with creation before the fall, now he has entered into a new relationship with you, the Israelites. So Sabbath keeping isn't some sort of general command for all people everywhere. It was a command specifically for the Jews. God was showing them that the original goal of creation was now going to be realized in his relationship with the Israelites. Many of you uh, were probably very young, uh, maybe just one or two years old, but some of you might remember the terrible events of 9-11, uh, when the World Trade Center in New York was destroyed uh, by al-Qaeda. And the devastation uh, left by that attack was terrible, And besides the huge loss of human life, the site of the Twin Towers, it was like a war zone. There was literally hundreds of tons of rubble and destruction everywhere. And they named the place Ground Zero. Apparently, it took years and years as it cleared all away. But now there is something new on that site. Something to help the people remember the Twin Towers. It's a beautiful uh, memorial park, a museum containing artifacts from the wreckage and two massive waterfall pools where the two buildings used to stand. And then all around those pools on bronze plaques are the names of the victims. It's hard to imagine that a site of such devastation could be given a fresh start; that it could even become a symbol of hope. Well, in a similar way, that is what the Sabbath was supposed to re- represent for the Jewish people: a fresh start, a symbol of hope, a weekly reminder that just as God entered into relationship with Adam and Eve, He has now entered into relationship with the Israelites. And we see that even more clearly as the Sabbath is further explained in Exodus and beyond. Taking the day off work is important, but it's not the end in itself. Taking the day off work is just the sort of the outward action. It's not the the end in itself. Keeping the Sabbath holy was always meant to point the Israelites to a far more wonderful reality. And that takes us to the third point, a rest explored, understanding the Sabbath. As we read on in Exodus and Leviticus, we discover that the Sabbath day really was right at the center of Israel's life as a nation. In some ways, observing the Sabbath was the most prominent mark of their special status as God's people. Not circumcision, not their food loss, not the ways they dressed, but Sabbath-keeping. It was the defining feature of the Jewish nation. So flick back to that other passage we read, Exodus 31. Exodus 31, verse 12. And these are the final words that Moses receives on Mount Sinai, the culmination of what God said to him. And just notice how the Sabbath is described Verse 12, again, the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, That soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days work shall be done. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Can we see that keeping the Sabbath for the Israelites is a really, really, really big deal? The Sabbath is a sign between him and the Israelites. Just like circumcision was the sign for Abraham, the rainbow was the sign for Noah, the Sabbath is the sign for the nation of Israel. It marked them out as God's special People. But more than that, by calling the Sabbath a sign, God is reminding them that it points to something. It points to a much greater reality. The Sabbath is a sign of the joyful, fruitful relationship with God that they now enjoyed. They were once again a people at rest. Taking One day off in seven was meant to be a vivid way to demonstrate the reality of their restored relationship with God. And the Sabbath was so central uh, to the Jewish religion, so important in God's plan for them, that failing to stop work, did you spot the punishment? You died. Verse 14, everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. On first glance, that might seem very harsh. I mean, just imagine a stressed out Israelite. And they're drowning in work. And he decides, you know what, I'm just going to nip into the office on Saturday. Catch up on a few emails. According to God, he deserves to die. Or think of the mum who spent all week looking after her sick baby. She's barely had a moment to take care of the home. There's dust everywhere, huge pile of laundry. She reaches for the vacuum cleaner. It'll only take 10 minutes. Well, according to verse 14, she deserves to die. Seems very harsh, doesn't it? But this is why we must remember that the Sabbath is a sign of a much greater reality. Their relationship with the Lord, their privileged status as his people. Working on the Sabbath would be like saying, I don't want to be part of God's people. I don't want to be in a relationship with God. That's treason. It's Adam and Eve all over again. People who thought and behaved like that deserve to die. Imagine you stood outside the Astana and you burned the Singapore flag. It's just a bit of cloth. Or imagine you stand outside the ICA building and you tear up your passport. It's just a bit of paper. Or imagine you're married or you're engaged and you stand... Uh, changi point and you throw your ring into the sea it's just a bit of metal you say but we all know that that piece of cloth that piece of paper that piece of metal it represents something much more important burning or tearing uh burning a a flag or tearing a passport it, it says i don't want to be a citizen throwing your ring into the ocean, says, I don't want to be married to you anymore. And working on the Sabbath sent a clear message to God. I don't want to be part of your people. I don't want to be in a relationship with you. People who think that way deserve, deserve God's judgment. Now I put some other verses on Leviticus from Leviticus on your handout. Look up later. And it just showed us that the Sabbath worked out on a much bigger scale uh, also. It wasn't just a sort of one-day week. It also featured in their annual festivals. And ultimately, it featured in the year of Jubilee, which was uh, after seven cycles of seven years, then the whole nation took a whole year off. And uh, lots of debts were written off, slaves were set free, and so on. So the Sabbath really was at the center of the nation's life. It was a constant reminder of what was truly important, a reminder of why God had rescued them, of what they were supposed to be living for. Every Saturday when they stopped working, every year when they celebrated their festivals, every 50th year in the Jubilee, it was an opportunity to remember, to rejoice, and to long for the final restoration to which the Sabbath ultimately pointed. Now, if we were to stop at Exodus and Leviticus, I guess it would leave it with as quite a good feeling. It's great. They've got this relationship with God restored. But unfortunately, as the Bible story unfolds, we see... Next heading, rest, rejected, profaning the Sabbath. I put again some Bible passages on the handout. We won't look at them all now. uh, But let me try and give you an overview of what happens after uh, they receive the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Uh, So shortly after that, they set off uh, for the promised land. Uh, But in Numbers 14, they fail to enter it. And as we'll see tomorrow, that was a catastrophic failure to enter God's rest. That generation missed out on the joyful, fruitful relationship with God that he had promised. But fast forward one generation under Joshua, and they finally enter and conquer the land. And Joshua tells them several times, using this exact language, that God has given them rest through him and then after Joshua their experience of rest was very up and down for several hundred years but the real high point of Israel's relationship with God was under King David and then King Solomon Uh, the land uh, the size of the promised land grew and grew at the tabernacle the tent it became a temple uh, a physical stone building Both of those things were meant to be signs that rest had become more permanent, more far-reaching. But then Solomon sinned, and it was a sad downward spiral. The people constantly rebelled against God. Prophet Ezekiel is famous for writing chapter after chapter of how the Israelites rejected God. And what's very interesting is how often he mentions that they broke or profaned the Sabbath. So look at uh, Ezekiel 20 with me. Ezekiel 20. Take a little moment to find that. I hear no rustling, which I assume means you're all using phones. (laughs) All right, let's hear rustling for the paper people. Well, Well, that's good. Big rustling from Andrew Scheer. So Ezekiel 20, uh, let me read from verse 10. God says, so I led them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my statutes and made known to them my rules by which a per- if a person does them, he shall live. Moreover, I give them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they might know that I'm the Lord who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbaths, they greatly profaned. Or we'll flick over to Ezekiel 22, verse 26. 22, verse 26. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they have disregarded my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. Notice the link between how they treat God and how they treat the Sabbath. That's why Ezekiel links Sabbath breaking to idolatry, the worship of other gods. It's a very serious matter. And it leads to the Israelites being banished from the promised land for 70 years. Now, Ezekiel, uh, the prophet, he ends his book with great promises of hope. Some of the most wonderful promises in the Old Testament, in fact. And specifically, he promises that after the exile, the temple would be magnificently restored. He spends eight chap- uh, nine chapters, 40 to 48, as spelling out what the new temple would be like and on several occasions in ezekiel 40 to 48 he says that the priests and the people will faithfully keep god's sabbaths so there's hope in ezekiel that after the exile the t- temple and the sabbath and the relationship with god that they represent all those things would be re- restored but the reality was a huge disappointment. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah, the last few verses uh, listed on your handouts. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah they tell the story of life after the exile. And Nehemiah he highlights, I think, three specific sins: intermarriage, one that I've forgotten, and Sabbath breaking. That's uh, a really big thing for him. In Nehemiah ten, uh, they made a solemn covenant to keep. The Sabbath. But it doesn't last long. The book of Nehemiah ends with people sinning in exactly the same ways that they had done before the exile. And Nehemiah is beside himself with anger. He literally tears people's hair out. Not his own hair, other people's hair. He's so angry. Just listen to what he says. You don't need to turn it up. Just listen. Therefore, I, Nehemiah, confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing? profaning the sabbath day did not your fathers act in this way and did not our god bring all this disaster on us and on this city and now you are bringing more wrath on israel by profaning the sabbath and the tragedy is that's pretty much how the old testament story ends pretty much the last words of the old testament in terms of the the narrative, is about how old God's people are breaking the Sabbath again. It's a very despondent and hopeless finale. The people have not changed. They persistently break the Sabbath. And as we've seen again and again, that is a clear sign that they don't care about their relationship with the Lord. And so, reading the Old Testament, it leaves us with two uh, uncomfortable realities. And I want to leave us, I want us to feel the force, to feel this discomfort a little bit before we rush too quickly to the solution the New Testament offers uh, this evening. So, first, uncomfortable reality for us to think about. Those who disregard the Sabbath must die. Those who profane the Sabbath deserve God's fierce and terrible judgment. (laughs) But we should realize by now that it is less about taking a day off a week and more about what the Sabbath represents. If I show no interest in a relationship with God, well, I must die. If my whole life is about the here and now rather than the restored world that God has promised in the future, well, then I deserve God's fierce and terrible judgment. We need to think hard if that is true of us personally. We need to be realistic about friends and family of whom that is true. The Sabbath is a case study to show us the serious consequences of turning our backs on a relationship with God. You see, just as the Sabbath was a picture of the future restoration that God had promised, well, the exile, that was a picture of future judgment. If you or me or our friends or our family disregard God, If we are all about this life in the here and now, well, the Bible is very clear we will come under God's judgment. We will face eternity in hell, permanently separated from a joyful, fruitful relationship with God. We will be condemned to eternal restlessness. We need to take that warning to heart. One of the most shocking things I experienced when I first traveled to Singapore, nearly 14 years ago, uh, was the landing cart that they used to give you on the plane. I think it's an e-card now, but they used to give you a physical landing cart. And you're sort of casually filling in your details as a first-time visitor. And then you turn it over and you see in big, bold, red letters, warning, death to drug traffickers under Singapore law. And that warning really makes you think, is there anything in my bag that might be mistaken for drugs? Is there any way someone could have slipped some drugs into my luggage? You'd be a fool not to take such a warning to heart. Well, in a similar way, uh, we could summarize what we've seen in the Old Testament. Warning, death to Sabbath breakers under God's law we'd be very foolish not to take the warning to heart. But that takes us to the second uncomfortable reality. It is impossible for God's people to keep the Sabbath. It should have been the simplest of all his commands. Take a day off. Enjoy time with friends and family. Think about all the good things God has done for you. The Sabbath was a delightful command. But they couldn't keep it. They were serial Sabbath breakers. Even after 70 years of exile, they carried on breaking the Sabbath. Adam's sin was in their blood. And so even the most liberating command was a burden to them. And again, that should humble us greatly. Because we know that we are also in Adam and we share their sinful hearts. We wouldn't have done any better than they did if we were in their situation. Our hearts are just as inclined to rebel against God as theirs were by nature we have no more interest in a relationship with god than they did and by ourselves there is nothing we can do to change it we're stuck we're stuck like this sin is a deadly cancer which has taken control of our body and day after day it produces symptoms like sabbath breaking But as the Old Testament story ends, no cure has been discovered. All they can see by the end of the Old Testament is how serious the cancer is. It seems like they are doomed to die. So those are the two uncomfortable realities the Old Testament Uh, speaks to us about it warns us and it humbles us it commands us to keep god's law but it also shows us that it is impossible to do so and that tension uh, isn't resolved until the coming of our savior and we will come to that this evening let's pray as we close Father, we thank you for the goodness of what is pictured for us in the Sabbath. Thank you for that uh, possibility of a relationship with you restored, of a chance to stop uh, week by week and remember it, uh, remember the relationship that you've uh, intend for us to have with you. And yet, Father, through the very sad story of Israel's history, uh, we see just how Sick, our hearts really are that even the most delightful command uh, is beyond our capacity to obey. That even the most wonderful command to take time off to rest uh, can lead to our judgment, Father. We know that there is a tension there, and we know that the uh, solution to that comes in the death and resurrection of Jesus, your Son. But we pray, Father, that we would have humble hearts that hear the warning that understand the seriousness of judgment for others who don't know Christ, that we would uh, be humbled, that we would uh, be under no illusions, that we can restore at rest ourselves, that we need you to act and we need you to act decisively. So we pray that our hearts would be longing to hear how you've done that as we come to the message of your son uh, this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to have a
2: Q&A right now with uh, Chris. So there's a floating mic. Uh, oh, okay. So the man who has the nine things of the hair, he's going to be uh bringing the mics around. So anybody have any questions? Uh, It would be good to just uh, start us off. It's always uh, the first person that's the, the brave one that gets us all started. So uh, anybody have any questions for Chris? Ah, okay, the back. Lenzo? Yes. Yes. Uh, Wingy here. Um, just wanted to find out what would it look like in ancient Israel for the Sabbath? That means like hospital A and E's cannot open. I mean, okay, I maybe I can live with no NTUC, but like yeah, what would it look like?
1: I mean, is this working? You yes, hear me? Yes, great. great. Um, I mean, part of it is, I guess, we need to imagine quite a different life. Anyway, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm no expert, but as in, you're not, you're not thinking sort of large, sort of civic centers with like hospitals and shops and so on. It's sort of much more life is done in the home. You, you farm your own food. You. Not to say there are no markets and so on, but you know, so society is more scaled back to some degree. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think we are to imagine a very radical stop, as in, so, so Numbers 15, I think, is one of the sort of the illustrations um, of a, a Sabbath breaker, and he he literally goes out and gathers some sticks for a fire and uh, and he's put to death in, in Numbers 15. So, as in. We are to think of it in quite extreme terms, um, but at the same time, I, I can't think in the Old Testament whether this is clarified there. But certainly, by the time you get to the Pharisees, who've obviously gone way over the top, and we'll, we'll think about this a little bit uh, this this evening, um, it's, it's clear that it was well understood that um, life saving intervention was fine, as in, uh, so that, you know, that even the Pharisees understood that they could get their donkey. If it fell into a pit, that, that you you could do life saving stuff for human beings, um, and uh, and the, and the priests are, are sort of uh, mentioned as another group that the priests offer their sacrifices on the Sabbath, uh, and so uh, you know, so, so again, it was it, meant to be a. a as uh, uh,
3: sort of of and so, I don't say say so, so and so I'm going to the of this sacrifice the seventh the use of sins is heightened in the seventh or in the So, and the same way why we live, 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 to the Sabbath. because that's the Sabbath, but it's a lot of the same spiritual sure of life. So, the first thing is we remember the fact is to say that there is. Which are they making was the point, Is they were trying further than the science and intelligence of the to sort of those At the same time, we we're, we're to to be a situ- yeah. So, to use day, switch on the light switch. Uh, self uh, uh, Other Jewish members research. Uh, nothing done in the Says a the to the so you just see, as you say, what you can have is that sort of in one or two ways, I don't should to tell you which is, I mean, just get totally so a line that I just was the a picture of this story should be and it So, it's very about the definition of that. I say, it's very important to talk. So, please, to come up the like given um, one so I, I'm, yes, I guess I was the lab. I that's sort of, a that's research- uh, the, sort of you know. what I'm saying the way Genesis is sort of and the structure takes to introduction of the expand on So it's the So, so, so what so I say is that when I don't know when this introduction to Genesis 2 and it's really, it's really like it's very important. So it's a big sale, but then it's actually So it's not that Genesis 1 says, What? I'm not to write really, really, um, it. Genesis 2 and it's just trying to so it's like. So, this is one is in verse, verses 1 the 3. One the generations, next section of my book. Is one of the one, seven, eight. So, there's seven days. life in the uh, in the uh, relationship That's why, uh, I, again, this is, I, I realize I was struggling with verses to try and sort of watch some extra excellence, but. Actually, we're all about the instructions. Actually, everything's group on sevens. There's sevens everywhere. So uh, The temple of Solomon, goes again. And everything is, is built around the temple of seven and the and temple. And, and, and so, that I, I guess the reason why I left this myself, I'm not as the numbers uh, to make uh, of places people. And so I think something we some of the, the, the details that the rest of it is quite, quite, quite. I, I think it's very, sort of, sort of way, just not that it's just very, it's just seven, just, on am not going And it's very often connected with it. And it's very often connected with what kind of things like And uh, I think that's just wanted to let you see this seven-day rest. It's very first thing next was a temple, a lot of people the temple, the that God, some from a bit so yeah, I'm sure it's not a lot of things, a little less sort of interface, nemesis. Uh, so i on the i by Moses, and read as well. i as one who's old, the one in Israel, was literally. Having a tabernacle once in front of your very eyes, and hearing the story of our the middle and all that, decorations of our tabernacle, the sun, they like the God of the to the east with a cherubim in front of it. That's just like our
1: temple door with forces east with a cherubim in front of it, as in you're hearing in that, ah, this tabernacle we are building, it's, it's, it's a representation of what they had uh, before. And so, uh, so, so so, just trying to see that the Bible in its own sort of way, with its sort of pictures and symbols, is trying to point us right from the very beginning to say that uh, rest, when God rests, it's just it's the language of relationship. that He, he is there to enjoy a, a, a partnership with human beings uh, that is then pictured in the Garden of Eden. Does that make more sense?
2: Oh, hold on. Uh, microphone. What
0: does it look like? Like what does it look like when Israel last, last time, they, that the picture, the rest in their mind, like yeah. how
1: they picture the rest as you describe in their mind. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it it was different but the same, and so obviously there's a difference because their tabernacle is is uh, shut off to a large degree, so that they can only enter so far, so they they are not like fully back into God's presence as, as Adam and Eve were. But in terms of their basic activity, uh, it's, I think it's exactly the same as Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve were supposed to, to, to look after this garden. I, I take it to expand the garden, to ex- expand the place of rest and, and blessing. And these right are the same. You're a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, uh, to sort of proclaim the excellencies of God to the world. So, so that same basic idea of you, you know the Lord, you live for him, and then you spread the knowledge of the Lord across the world. That's that was Adam's job. That was Israel's job. That's our job. I said there's one job, which is to to know the Lord personally and to to spread that, that knowledge of the Lord across the world. Now they're given in different uh, in different settings, maybe slightly different sort of uh, means to achieve their job at various stages, but but basically the same thing. we, we are, we've always been a kingdom of priests, representing God. Uh, to the world. Uh, that's that's the basic picture. And yeah. and, and we, we do that well because we know him ourselves, and then the knowledge of the Lord that we have, the relationship we have with him, uh, we are able to share and proclaim to others.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Hi, Chris. Yeah, so uh, you mentioned that one of the consequences of the fall is Restlessness. Like that uh, we can't enjoy a fruitful um what's that relationship with God. Okay, but uh, for many of us, we tend to associate rest and tiredness, yeah. the contrast that we are, we are physically tired and that's why we, we need rest. We are spiritually tired, that's why we need rest. So i was just wondering, is there any connection between tiredness and restlessness?
1: Yeah, absolutely. As in like, so as in, what, what was Adam's main experience of a broken relationship with God? well it was day to day physical tiredness as in that he sweats and sweats and sweats in the field and then he dies as in so that so that you know but but we just need to see that physical tiredness is a symptom of spiritual restlessness and uh, maybe sometimes our problem is we get too caught up with physical rest the symptom um and our world is certainly very obsessed with physical rest we love the idea of work life balance um, but we want to sort of keep pointing people beyond the symptom to what's really wrong with the world. Why is there so much tiredness? Why is there so much stress? Why is there so much uh, joylessness at work? It's because we don't know the Lord. Um, and and so so our our job as Christians is to hear people and sympathize with them when they when they express suffering and difficulty in those ways, but not then try to provide solutions which are Purely physical, or you should sleep more, or you should work less, you should change job. Those might those might be very good pieces of advice, but actually, we're always wanting to point people to to, to know the all better, to trust Him. So, so how is it the Apostle Paul can describe his ministry in the most sort of like physically exhausting way possible in two Corinthians? What is it like? You know, I, I'm crushed, but not. Destroyed, sort of. You know, I've I've all this anxiety. I'm tired. I'm shipwrecked. I'm I'm just exhausted. He is an exhausted man, and yet he's filled with joy, and he will he will work like that until he dies because he he knows that his relationship with the Lord has been restored. So it's not that he's immune from the symptoms of physical tiredness, but in in seeing the joy of a relationship with the Lord destroyed, he's prepared to work hard for the Lord. And again, we'll come to that a bit in the next two talks.
0: Thanks, Chris, uh, for your talks. My um, question is this. Um, I've come across Christians who, who tell me that um, with regards to the Old Testament laws, like, for example, the food laws, as Christians, we, we don't have to follow them today. But then they tell me, like, if you look at the Ten Commandments specifically, right, you know, you have things like uh, honor Father and mother," do not kill," and we also say you have to keep the Sabbath, so there are a group of, you know, certain denominations where they say you really have to keep the Sabbath, um, and it's not just Sundays. It's in fact, actually Saturday, because that's the actual Sabbath day. So, how should we be thinking about it, quickly? Thanks.
1: Just a quick show of hands. How many people here come from a a household or a a church background where there was some sense that Sunday is a Sabbath. Just for well, just one just one <laughs> little voice. No, 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 hands, 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 hands. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. This is very helpful for me to know.
3: Awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like 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 my like my aunts and uncles. No TV, no uh yeah. I one of the, sorry, I'm just gonna sort of just talk for a little bit about Desmond's question because it's it's interesting to me that in many ways uh in a strange way, because Singapore and Northern Ireland, where I come from, in, in many ways couldn't be more different. But in the Christian scene, in many ways, they're surprisingly similar uh, in terms of just lots of denominations, sometimes quite sad backstories as to how those denominations have, have formed. And, and all my relatives are what's called Free Presbyterians. So I think you could think of them as the strict version of your Bible Presbyterians. So like life, life, BP sort of like K- KJV, sort of stri- strings only, um, but you know, and 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 Northern Ireland has a number of sort of like stricter versions of the of the mainline denomination, and typically for them, I, I mean, it's just it's just very very normal in Christian circles to think that the Sabbath is is the special is the special day, and um, so one of the things that's actually a bit surprising to be in Singapore is how few of you put your hands up, and how few people i've really ever met in singapore who've ever thought the sabbath was of any great importance which is interesting to me because um it's not like Sing- it's not like sort of there aren't like sort of some strict singaporean churches like that say that only will read the kjv for example but for some reason sabbath keeping is not one of the particularly the the rules that, that singaporean churches want to particularly try and enforced, which is strange to me. And it, it makes me wonder if actually the, the, the other priorities that, that we have here of working hard, excelling in our career, uh, doing lots of CCAs, actually, they're so important that we'll not actually worry too much about this inconvenient Sabbath command. That's just a, a slight aside. For the few um, churches that might sort of still push that sort of agenda, I think we'll, I'll try and say a little bit more this evening in terms of how we might answer them in the very broadest terms um it out, how, are you very presbyterian
2: <laughs> it's like uh, asking uh how wet is water a, uh, I, you never know
1: you never know i mean there, there are two the 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 two broad ways to see it would be that I mean the Presbyterian way would be to see that there are three types of law in the Old Testament: moral, civil, and ceremonial, and that the, all the moral laws remain in force. The difficulty with that is that most people would be very quick to say the Ten Commandments are the moral laws, and yet even Calvin would have said, "Ah, but the Sabbath is a little bit uh, different." So the Sabbath is a bit of a bit of a, a weird one, and it doesn't seem to be an obviously moral law although it has very moral uh implications another way to think about it might be that the commands of the new testament repeats are still in force and and people would point out that all nine of the commandments are repeated but the sabbath isn't that's what way to think about it uh, or you you think about it that all of us are sort of pointing to christ are fulfilled in him and now we sort of start fresh with it with a new law in christ uh, which sometimes borrows from the old law, but but we're not under Moses in any sort of strict uh, in any way. So that so that we'll flesh out that a little bit more. But I just my my own view would be either you say with with Calvin that the Sabbath is not a moral law; it's 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 a civil law. It's it's connected to Israel as a nation, and therefore it doesn't apply. Or or I'd be more willing to say, actually, all the laws point forward to christ in some way and uh so we need to sort of see how they're fulfilled in him before we just pick them up and apply them uh to ourselves but we'll, we'll look at that more tonight you, you want to add anything
2: no well, i think uh does that answer your question desmond ah oh, okay. Uh, okay okay any
0: other questions yeah, uh, Chris, may I know one why did God create rest? And the second question is, uh, any
1: difference between God rest and Jesus Christ rest? Yeah. yeah, why did God create rest? I guess the deepest answer is because it's uh, he is a relational God. So he's always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He loves to be in relationship with himself um, and has always been in perfect relationship with himself. And so it is, it's inevitable, I guess, that when he chooses to create the world, that he would want to extend that the goodness of that relationship into his creation, uh, so that he he is at his heart of his being relational, and so when he makes creatures, he makes the creatures relational, uh, but even more wonderfully, he ch- chooses to be in a relationship uh, with them. Uh, is Jesus rest the same? We'll come to Jesus rest tonight, but essentially, Yes. Uh, so we'll see that you know jesus will make it very explicit what i'm trying to say he i give you rest for your souls so he makes it very clear it's not about physical rest it's about spiritual rest and and that's what i've been trying to sort of say the old testament has always been about
2: oh at the back oh sorry steve as well uh okay we'll we'll go for the back first and then steve and then uh, ron it's great to see all this interaction. Uh, I think it's really
0: helpful. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks, Chris. Uh if we are regenerate today, why does Western feel so fleeting and difficult? Like now, even in church.
1: Yeah, great question. Um, because this is why. I mean, it's in a funny way. I would never have preached that sermon on a Sunday, uh, because it's it's, it's <laughs> the sort of thing you can only preach on a on a weekend away, because you can you can uh, raise the tensions and the questions knowing that in a few hours you can tell everyone how jesus is the solution so in a sermon on a sunday i would have wanted to explain to people in that talk how it is that jesus gives us rest and and you know what what difference it makes to be then regenerate uh people um but part of the advantage of being able to do it this way and just thinking about the old testament message before Christ comes to resolve some of the tensions, is that actually there are important things for us to hear in that as well, in that even as regenerate people, so people who've been born again, uh, we remain sinful people. So it's not like Adam in us is just sort of removed entirely. Uh, Adam's sin still flows in our veins, and, uh, and a new man sort of is sort of taking over as, as, as Paul puts it to work. So every day the Christian life is to put off the old self and to put on uh, the new self. But that means it's very important to see very clearly what the old self is like. So it's actually, although it might be painful and a little bit like it's not the most encouraging talk in the world uh, to think this is what the old self is like as an Israel is a, is a one and a half thousand year uh, worked example by God this is what your nature is like. And now we wonderfully know that that's not the full story because Christ has renewed our nature, but we need to see that that's still part of who I am. And and because it's still part of who I am, that's part of why I I continue to experience uh, uh, restlessness. Another big part of it is that the world is still under God's curse to some degree. So even though I am not condemned, uh, because I'm in Christ. Actually, the world, Romans 8, uh, 1, verse 18, is, is still under God's curse. And because I, I, I'm inescapably part of this world uh, where disease has hit me in my family, um, I, will be, I am more tired th- this week than I would like to be um, because I, I'm just, I live in a fallen world. So those are think, the two big reasons. We still have a sinful nature and we still live in a fallen world. Uh, the regenerate part and how that makes a difference we'll come to this evening.
2: Uh, see, Hi. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to, can you hear this one? Yeah. Um, get some
1: context in work. So I, I don't see that the Sabbath can be seen in isolation from work. So how much our work should be in preparation for the Sabbath? So basically... I think that, you know, in the
3: Old Testament, if they didn't work as they should have, then they had to work on the Sabbath. We don't really have the same sort of situation now, if it's more uh, symbolic or relational, but how much our work should be for the Sabbath. Yeah.
1: That's a great question. Um, and, and I suppose in, in some ways, the fact that we have to ask the question demonstrates the disconnect between work and rest and relationship with God. And I, I was thinking about this last night in that if you, were, if you are living in Genesis 2, it would just be very strange to think in terms of having a a job, a, a day job. Your, your, your life is consumed with serving God and, and such is the, the perfection of your relationship with him that you can genuinely say everything you do is designed to serve him so that uh if i, if I take t- my wife and i were talking about this what why is it this sort of motherhood feels so, like such a uh, a burden uh, that motherhood is sometimes the, the thing that sort of you know at, at the sort of the, their wits end at the end of the day a mum can think of nothing more restful than getting rid of their children uh in in in, in the bed into bed yeah. um you know or or, or sort of if, if someone would just come and take them for the day No, genesis 3 tells us why because you know, childbearing is, is painful. A, a, a mum's work is 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 cursed. Um, and I take it therefore, if the fall had not happened, uh, that you know raising children would have been a joy. I, I would have seen in every conversation and every act of care and every sort I'm not I, in every sort of uh, you know waking moment, this is great. I'm I'm forming a young disciple to know the Lord, to serve Him in his world. This is amazing. But, we don't, but we don't we don't think think that way because it's it's hard. It's really hard, and we're sinful, and our children are sinful. And so this massive disconnect between the the good rules God gave us to do as as men, women, human beings, now we just see such a disconnect between them. And so you're right, part of what it means to be a Christian, to think in a in a new way, about our work, about our parenting, about our home life, is, is to learn to think in the language of Colossians, let everything you do be for the glory of God. So how is it I can be a slave, horrible, dirty, manual labor in someone else's home? Well, because you're a Christian slave. And so now you can learn to sort of do everything for God's glory. Now, that doesn't mean that it's instant, that it's quick, all, all good, no problems. But the part of the the joy of being a believer is that we are learning to reconnect to disconnected realities so that so that my child caring my chores at home my serving at church uh, my my reading my watching TV whatever it is actually I can can begin to say with God's help all of those things are focused on one ultimate purpose which is to serve him and to glorify him so that that's part of what the Christian life is is reconnecting those disconnected realities
2: uh ron
3: oh uh are god's
1: laws meant to be such a heavy burden i uh, know not not meant to be um there's a, the the there's a slight there's a slight uh, tension here in that um the Sabbath is the clear example of, of no. It, it should be a joyful thing to be told you can stop. So, and just and their, their context is very important. 400 plus years of slavery in Egypt where they could never stop. And now to be told you can stop. The land will keep producing its grain. I will feed you. I will take care of you. And it's a sign that it's, it's not to trust. I, I, the Lord, will take care of you. Um, So the Sabbath of of all the commands should not be a burden. The bigger picture of the Old Testament law, I think, is a little more uh, complicated. And I think it's complicated further by the Pharisees, so those famous sort of uh, readers of the Old Testament law and what they subsequently did with it. So the Pharisees certainly made the law burdensome, but I think when you look at something like Galatians three, um, I think there is a, in God's sovereign purpose even the good law is given by Moses to an extent is supposed to burden you, because it it's it is supposed to show you your need for a savior. Uh, and so it's, it's not it's not that the commands are inherently burdensome so Romans 7 will say that his commands are holy righteous, and good and yet anytime I try and obey those commands I find I don't want to do this or I can't do it or it's tiring I hate it and so our, when when the good law comes into contact with a sinful human being it is experienced as a as a burden and I, I think my point is that that was part of God's plan in that he wants you to see salvation by law-keeping is impossible. It, when law comes into contact with sin, it produces death. And so what we need is a savior. What we need is a new heart that is inclined to keep the law. Um, yeah, so there's a, it's a slightly complicated picture.
2: Any other questions? I can ask you a question. So I think uh, you're saying how the uh, the history of Israel actually shows uh, like a lived example of the difficulty of keeping the Sabbath. So is the problem idolatry because they like they worship money or success, or is it a problem of uh, their inability to put their relationship with God first? Uh why is it so hard for them if it's the easiest of the commandments to keep for them not to keep it or a lack of trust? Yeah, I wonder if it's if it's a partly a trust thing. So, so certainly
1: the early Sabbath breaking is is clearly a lack of trust. Yeah. Will will there be food if I don't go out today? Uh will there be a you know, will will I be taken care of? I think you're right as well that other things emerge into the picture. So, so Nehemiah, it would seem that it's greed. They just want they just want to keep on trading on the Sabbath because that's a, that's a day of business lost. You know, I, I came up with an interesting sort of uh, thing recently. So, Denmark uh, has been realized they they aren't meeting their NATO spending commitments. They're supposed to spend two percent of their budget on uh, on 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 defense every year. Do you know how they decided they would raise? The budget by canceling a public holiday because apparently one day off a year for denmark is worth approximately you know it's it's not 0.3 percent of their of their budget it's worth billions and so the easiest way for a country to raise their GDP is to cancel the public holidays. Women Singapore love that. <laughs> Take away all the public holidays, make, make more. And and I think there's a real sense in which, for you know, just Israel knew that if I, if I can just squeeze in the extra work, I will be wealthier. I'll be and so it's, but that's connected to trust, mm. um, because I, because I don't, I want to get it for myself. But it's also connected to idolatry. I want what the so they traded with people from other nations in Nehemiah. So they wanted to sort of be this this desire to be like the other nations yeah. is always present with them. So it's very interesting that the Sabbath is the sign for their nation to set them apart as so a part of their thing is that we always want to be like the other nations. They seem so much more powerful, so much more successful. So if we do what they do, then we will have what they have. And so I would guess in that settings, Sabbath breaking very readily goes out the window. So yeah. So lack of trust in the Lord will provide a desire to have what the other nations have but yeah, I think fundamentally, I want to do things my own way. And so it, it is just my re- my rebellious heart that mm. always says God is wrong, even when he's giving us something so good. So is that time?
2: Oh, stop. Okay. Uh, so that's all for today. If you have any other questions that you want to ask, uh, Chris, I'm sure he'll be happy to speak to you. We can catch him anytime. So I'll pass the time now back to Dom.